I've always wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a dad, and I especially wanted to have girls, daughters. I was convinced, in fact, uh, since I was young, that I was going to have three daughters. When my wife and I met, we spoke about each of us, you know, when you go before the counselors, have you talked about kids? Of course. And they said, how many do you want to have? Um, we talked about, we actually had agreed on six. We had agreed on six. But when we went to the counselor, I went to say six and she said three. But I was confident, and I said, three is good. I, you know, three is good, and we're going to have three girls. And so when uh, we were expecting our first one, um, the time came to, you know, you have to come up with a name. And I said, I already have the name. It's going to be a girl. Her name is going to be Layla. It's just, it was a given. Long before I met you, I told my wife. And she played along. She said, what if it's a boy? Because we didn't do the ultrasound thing. We just kind of waited, ta-da, you know, for the arrival. It was kind of more exciting that way. And so uh, she said, what if it's a boy? And I told her, trust me. It's not. Her name is going to be Layla. And sure enough, she was born, and we named her Layla. So my wife played along with that, but by the time we were pregnant with our second, expecting our second, she said, okay, what about names? And I said, okay, it's going to be a girl, and this will be her name. And she says, what if it's not a girl? And I said, it's going to be a girl. So uh, we debated on names, and I would not allow her to pick a boy's name because it was going to be a girl. So we had this argument, and she said, what if it's a boy, and he won't have a name? He's going to be born without a name. So we had this argument, and uh, we were trying to figure this out, and I said no, and she suggested some names, and I, I don't really want to say them out loud. Maybe some of y'all have friends, and I was like, no way, no way. Um, so the only name we could actually sort of agree on was Elijah. Because her father, her name, my, my father-in-law, his name is Elias. Uh, and so we could agree on Elijah. Because, after all, it's a powerful name. But I was like, we're not going to need that. We're not going to need that. True story, true story. Uh, church had a baby shower for us. And everyone brought gifts. And we were all having a good time. And when they opened the gifts, we, you know, because you do that when you've been to a baby shower. You have to open the gifts. And they were all blue. <laughs> And there were little, you know, jackets and suits. The whole lot of them, every single person was convinced we already had a girl. This was going to be a boy. So the day uh, our daughter was born, and uh, in the delivery room, you could hear me laughing. Ha, ha, because when she came out, the doctor said, it's a girl. And I was like, ha, I thought about all those wonderful people who were picking up boy gifts, and they were just wrong. Thing is... Had Analia been born a boy, we, we would have wrestled for the name Elijah. But alas, she wasn't. Elijah. Elijah. You know why? Because names mean something, right? There's, uh, names have a tendency to lay out a map for you. And if we had had a son at that time, we wanted to name him Elijah. Because Elijah is a strong name. Elijah represents someone bold and of courage. Maybe you know where your name comes from. Maybe you know who you've been named after. But if I had a son at that time, I would have named him Elijah. I'm a big fan of Elijah. Most pastors are. And that's who we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. So if you would please open your Bible to the book of 1 Kings. We're going Old Testament this month in April. And we will be in 1 Kings beginning with chapter 17. 
First Kings is not a book most people like to read, especially the first half of the book. It's a lot of history of people who usually do bad things. But in chapter 17, uh, the whole book and the tenor of God's journey with his people takes a turn, a very interesting turn. And we're going to dive in there. First Kings chapter 17. Follow along with me. And it says this, verse 1. Have you got it? If you got it, say amen. amen. All right, good. If you don't got it, pull up your smartphone. There's a, there's a Bible in front of you. I want you to follow along. I want you to get your eyes on the Word of God. Chapter 17, the book of 1 Kings. And it says this. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, quote, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. What's interesting about the story here, and if you're familiar with it, that's okay. If you're not familiar with it, listen to this. What's interesting about the story is this is our first recorded act. This is the first time we hear about this person, Elijah. The name will be familiar to you. You probably already know and have pictures in your head about this man. But this is the first place in the story. And what's neat about it is there is no backstory. There's no fade to sometime in the past that tells us anything about him. This is how he shows up. In the story, in the narrative. He just shows up. And I want you to picture for just a second what he does. He comes in, into the court of the king, whose name is Ahab, and he waltzes in, literally, he waltzes in, goes up to the king, and he says, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither rain nor dew in the next few years, except that my word. Now, earlier this week, there was April Fools uh, celebrated, and I don't know if you heard the story, but um, Google, I believe, uh, put an April Fools prank where if you use a certain uh, search or in your emails, um, when you hit send or even before you hit send, a little minion would come out and drop the mic. Did it? Anyone do that? Yes? No one? Okay. So a little minion comes out and he says something and he drops the mic like. I've spoken. And, and that's essentially what Elijah's doing here. He might not be a minion, but he waltzes into the king's court and he says, there's going to be no rain, no dew, unless I say so, bang, and then he walks out. You guys know what dropping the mic means? Okay, for those of you who don't, means like, I'm done. You know, like, yes, no, okay, whatever. All right. Uh, So that's what Elijah does. That's how he shows up. And, and he says a few, a couple of interesting things here. He says, as the Lord of God of Israel lives, whom I serve. So he stands in front of the king. And by the way, if you have a king, it usually means you're a servant to him. But he goes in the presence of the king and defies him a little bit. Well, a lot. And he says, the God of Israel, whom I serve. In other words, I respond to a higher authority. And he says, there will not be any rain or dew unless I say so. Which is fantastic. Haven't you ever wanted to have that kind of power? To say, ain't nothing going to happen unless I say so. Bang. Yes? See, that's why I tell you, Elijah is like a pastor's favorite. Like, this is like pastor's fantasy type of stuff where you just drop the mic and you say, what? And, um, and that's what Elijah does. That's how he shows up on the scene. 
This is his first recorded act. And he's bold because he gets into the palace. And if you know anything about ancient culture, you couldn't just waltz in. But he was a prophet, clearly. And somehow he manages to get in. And if you read the rest of the story, it was a bit surprising that he got in and that he got out. Because he goes and he says, there will be no rain, no dew. In other words, there's going to be a drought. And there will not be a drop unless I say so. And he turns around and he walks out. And the word of the Lord, verse 2, say, came to Elijah and said, Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, eat of the Jordan, I mean east of the Jordan, and you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So Elijah does what he's told. He says, God has told me to say this. Here's the deal. And then he turns and walks out. And if you read the rest of the story, uh, the king kind of wishes that he wasn't caught off guard. So he would have grabbed him, but they didn't. He just turns around, sneaks off, takes off. And the Bible tells us that God instructs him to go east, east of the king's palace, east of Israel, to go to this ravine. And to live there at the side of the brook. And he says, and I have ordered the birds to feed you there. You probably know the story. Uh, you may have played with the felts when you were a kid. But Elijah does, as God has said. The Bible tells us that he did. Verse, um, <clears throat> verse 5. So he did what the Lord had told him. And he went to the ravine east of the Jordan. And he stayed there. Listen to this, verse 6. And the, and the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning. And bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. It's really cool stuff to picture. He, he does this courageous act of boldness on God's behalf. And then God says, now here's what I want you to do next. I want you to just go hide and live by the side of this little brook of running water. And the birds are going to feed you. The birds are going to feed you. Now, just for a second here. If God ever asked you to do something like that, do you think you would do it? Anyone? Amen? Uh, let's be honest, right? I mean, just listen to the sound of it. If God said to you, never mind the whole go before the king, if he just said to you, listen, I want you to leave this land behind <laughs> and I want you to go up to... Uh, 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 <laughs> I want you to go up to uh, Julian and find a little brook there and the birds are going to feed you. I don't know if you know a whole lot about birds, but ravens are kind of scary. And whatever meat they might bring you probably didn't come from kosher kind of place. But God tells him, go and the birds will feed you. Would you, would you be willing to do that? I don't know. I, I mean, he's our hero when he does the bold stuff, but this part I'm not quite so sure. But the Bible tells us that he does. God tells him to do this, and he does. And he goes, and, and that birds bring him bread and meat. It just sounds ridiculous. He's sitting there. There's this idyllic scene, trees and water, and he's just reclining, and the birds are bringing him food. It's pretty wild. I mean, the Bible says this, but it's hard for us to imagine that something like this could actually happen. But then in the next part of the story, what he had prophesied actually comes true. Listen. Listen. 
Verse 7. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So the word of the Lord came to him again. And he said, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. And I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went there. And when he came to the town gate, there was a widow gathering sticks there. And he called out to her and he said, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I may have a drink? It's a very interesting uh, succession of events, but it doesn't surprise us because we know his story. But I want you to just capture for just a second what kind of person Elijah is and why we want to name our kids. And I would have named my son at that time Elijah. Elijah is a man of great courage. I mean, it does take boldness to go into the face of the king and drop the mic. But he's also a man of great faith because that's what it takes to go live by the birds. By the good graces of birds. And Elijah said to the king, there's going to be no rain. And sure enough, because it was a word from God, it came true. And so when there's no rain, the ground dries up and it stops nurturing plants. And when there's no plants, no vegetation, food resources run out. And eventually the, the brook dried up and God said, now I want you to go somewhere else and I've commanded a widow to supply you there with food. If you don't know the, the geography of it, um, uh, Elijah came from the east into the king's presence. Then he ran away back to the east. But now God sends him up to the north, nowhere near the region of Israel, but essentially into enemy territory. Where he is sending him now is a place where no man of God would actually be welcome. It's where Baal is worshipped. And he sends him up there and he says, I want you to go over there into essentially enemy territory and I will supply you with food there through this widow. So understand the, the continuing succession of God's requests on Elijah. They're always asking, God is always asking him to trust him in these outrageous circumstances and in these outrageous acts. And the Bible tells us that the kind of man Elijah was, that's what he did. He said, you want me to go there? I'll go. And so he goes. And the Bible tells us that when he gets there, uh, near the town gate, he sees a typical scene, uh, a woman picking up some sticks, gathering for a meal. And the Bible says that he calls out to her and he says, would you bring me a little water in a jar so that I might have a drink? In the Middle East, it would have been a common occurrence in their day because it's part of their ingrained hospitality. Uh, if a stranger passes by and they ask for a drink, you offer it, you give it. You might even offer some food. They're very generous. And so this would have been a common scene, nothing out of the ordinary. Strangers passing through. He looks different. You know, he's dressed a little different. But nevertheless, you're supposed to be hospitable. And so he says, would you give me a drink? And the Bible tells us that the widow turns to go get the drink. You see that in verse 10, 11? As she was going to get the drink, he calls out to her and he says, And while you're at it, would you bring me, please, a piece of bread? I love Elijah. He's hilarious to me. So he asks her for a drink and she's like, okay. Now, you got to know because she knows, everybody knows, there's been no water around. So water must be a... Uh, a very special commodity right now. But nevertheless, 
she's trying to do the right thing and he says can you give me a drink she says oh, okay she's going to get it and he says while you're at it can you bring me some food too I was telling for a service uh, I love that tactic it's a great tactic by the way and I recommend you use it today at potluck wherever you are whenever somebody gets up to get something you go oh are you up oh can you bring me that too please thanks you got to throw in the tank the thanks really fast because then they can't say no it's it's a technique I've learned from Elijah so whether it's your wife your husband a kid neighbor whoever's there and then they're getting up you're like oh are you up oh can you give me that thanks you got to do it real quick and then they're like ah oh. and then they'll bring it to you it's fantastic and Elijah is essentially the author of that move <laughs> Because he's like, can I please get a drink of water? Because he knew she would not say no to that. But as she's going to get it, he says, oh, by the way, since you're up, <laughs> can you give me some food too, please? He probably said thanks. I don't know. I, maybe I added that one. Can, can you give me some food, please? Elijah is doing what God has asked him to do. He says, go find this widow. I've commanded her to supply you with food. And Elijah says, okay, I'll go. And he asks her, can you get me some food, please? And then she turns, verse 12, and she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. Softly like that because, no, I, I don't know how softly. But for a moment, I'm imagining that she's a gentle soul. And she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I am gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. I don't know that that's the way she said it, but I imagine actually that when Elijah said, can you give me some food too, please? She turned and gave him the look. Y'all know the look? Yeah, I see some men going, yep, I seen it. Mm -hmm, I seen it. You ever done the look? Yes? Yeah. It's, it's that time when you weren't quite sure that what you said was going to sound so insensitive that as the second it came out of your men, the second it came out of our mouths, we're like, that's a pretty good idea. And we say, hey, honey. And it comes out, and then you get the look. Anybody with me? You've seen the look? By the way, it's universal. It doesn't come just with wives. It comes from teachers, grocery store clerks. You, you ever seen the look? Oh, wait, wait. Oh, um, can you scan that one more time? And you like, <laughs> And she turns. In my mind, this is what I'm seeing. He says, and get me some food, too. And she turns, and she looks at him, and she gives him those eyes. She doesn't have these eyebrows, so it wasn't that scary, but it was red in her eyes. And he, she looks at him, and she says, as surely as the Lord your God lives. And I can feel it now. It starts to boil. And she says, I don't have any bread. I don't know if she said it like that, but I'm using it. I don't have any bread. She says, look, look. She says, I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in it. And I'm gathering some sticks to make a meal for myself and my son so that we may eat it and die. Because... Because that's how serious the situation is. That's how serious things have gotten. Because there's no rain and there's no dew. There's no supplies. There's no food. And, and, and she's been, if you, if you didn't catch it, she's a widow, which means she doesn't have other means necessary to create trade or, 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 or to somehow find food or to hunt. She's a widow taking care of a son. And, and so the supplies have been slowly dying out. And by this time, she is essentially saying, look, I've tried to be nice to you. I was going to go get a drink of water. But you're asking something that is just too much. I didn't want to 
say this, I don't want to unload, but you want food? I don't have any food. All I got is a little bit of flour. We're going to make a small, meager piece of bread for my son and I, and that's the last thing we're going to eat, and then we're going to die. It kind of sounds dramatic, except it's 12.15, and I know some of you guys are feeling that way right now. <laughs> right? You're like, oh, pastor, please don't preach any longer, because I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. And she says, probably with some anger and righteous indignation, she says to him, how dare you ask me? You don't understand. And she gives him the look and she says, look, I don't have anything because the little bit I have, I'm reserving for our last meal. And Elijah sees the look and any, any man with any kind of common sense would have said, sorry, 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 sorry. My bad. Right, guys? Like, we've been there. You stay in there long enough, it's going to get ugly. You know what I'm talking about. You're going to start feeling this small if you don't already. Any man with good common, human common sense would have said, I'm so sorry, man. I didn't know. I, I, you and your son, I, my apologies. I must have gotten the wrong widow. <laughs> Let me go look for another one. I'm sorry. But that's not what Elijah says because he is not every, he doesn't have human common sense. Look what he says. She says, we're going to eat it and die. Elijah says, okay, okay, don't be afraid. So far, so good. Go home and do what you said. You Go ahead. Uh, keep your plan. It's all right. And I can sort of see the scene. She's like, she's giving them the nostril thing. You ever seen the nostril thing? When they get real big? She's giving them the nostril thing. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. Don't be afraid. Go home and do what you plan. And she's like, ah, and then he says, but first, make me a small cake of bread from what you've got and bring it to me. And then you can go back and make a meal for yourself from what's left over. I don't know, man. I don't know, but he's crazy. <laughs> well, think about this. He's been, been fed by ravens and birds. and he's, I think he's just, he's crazy. God has made him crazy. I've learned my lesson to cross a woman with the eyes and the nostrils. I've learned my lesson. It, it ain't pretty. But he says, okay, 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 go ahead and do what you're planning to do. But first, but first, I love it. Make me a cake and bring it to me. <laughs> Since you're going anyway, make me a cake. Thanks. That's what I, I would have said. Thanks. No, I, I, I would never have the courage to say that. But he says, make me a cake and then bring it to me. And then make some for yourself and for your son. It's crazy that he would ask that. And, and if you put yourself, women, come on, help me out here. If some stranger came and wanted to take food from you and your babies, come on, your babies, and you told them, listen, I don't have anything to give. And he says, okay, but whatever you've got, give it to me first. How would you respond to that? Come on, ladies, let's be honest. You already gave him the look and the nostrils. What's next? What's next? I know you've got an arsenal of stuff, but like, how would you respond? See, there's this moment here that's happening where, where Elijah is essentially, listen to this, Elijah is essentially inviting this woman into his kind of story. Because if you weren't paying attention, 
God has been asking Elijah to do this exact same thing, to put his life at risk, go before the king and challenge him, to go live by the good graces of birds, and now to go into enemy territory. So that's the kind of story Elijah is living. I've often asked myself, clearly God can provide fruit from birds. Why does he let the brook dry up? Ever wonder that? Like, there was only Elijah there at the brook. Why doesn't he, if he can provide, if birds can bring you food, surely God can make water appear. I mean, he's done it before, we know that. It comes from the rocks and different places. Why does he let the brook run out? I don't have a definitive answer, but my suspicion is that it's for our sake. Because he goes into this widow's life now and makes an invitation to her that I think God is making to you and me. Listen, he goes to her and he says, I know you've got plans for the things that you have, but first, bring it to me. And then, listen to this, and then, this is what the Lord God of Israel has said. This is verse 14. And the jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord gives rain to the land. See, Elijah says to this woman, I know you don't have a lot. I know you don't think it's a lot, but I want you to trust me with it. And if you trust me, the Lord God will make it last. Sounds cool, doesn't it? He says it will not run out until the day the Lord sends rain. See, because with every invitation of God to do something on his behalf comes a promise from God to supply your needs. With every challenge that God issues into our life comes a promise from God to empower our courage. From every road that God presents in front of us, though we do not know the destination, we have an assurance that he will walk it with us. And in this moment, I believe that God uses the story to tell us See, because it would have been a lot easier for us to discount these stories if it was just Elijah, because he's Elijah. This is what he does. I'm no Elijah. But now God invites a widow from enemy territory who has no food, no husband, no income into a moment of power. So guess what, friends? The same promise there is made available to us. See, God has been coming to us, to you individually, to myself, to our community, and saying, I need you to, I need you to do something for me. I, 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 have, I have a job for you. I have a task for you. I want you to give me some of the things that I've entrusted to you. And we turn and we give him the look and the nostrils and the, how dare you ask me that, God? I have nothing left. My dreams have been dashed, my hopes. You know, I thought things were going to work out this way, but none of it has worked out. I didn't get the job I wanted. My relationships didn't work out. All I've got is this. And I'm just going to eke out my life. And God says, I want it first. And we look at him and we say, how dare you ask me? But the thing is that God is not asking simply to take away. No, no, no. God is asking so that we understand 
that we have been entrusted and we don't own any of it to begin with. See, the reason the woman, I believe, is in the story, this widow, is because it's a lot more difficult for us to dismiss her. She's not a man of God. She's not a prophet. She's just a woman trying to live her life like you, like me. She's just somebody whose life is real. His problems are real. The struggles are real. And God is trying to disturb her reality and saying, I know you think it's very little, but in my hands, it can be so much more. But you and I are so fixated on the little bit that we have that we just clench our fists around it. And we're not, not talking about money. Well, that would certainly apply. I'm talking about everything that God has entrusted to you. Friends, do you know the Bible tells us that it all belongs to God? And in this moment, Elijah is issuing this request. Because if he asks for the bread, he's asking not just for the bread, but for everything that the bread represents. For her, it's life. And the life of her son. And God is saying, I know. I want that. How would you answer that request? What if God said to you, your son, I know you want to protect them and provide your daughter, but trust them to me first. But first, trust them to me. You're building a company. You started a new job. You're working on this and you're working real hard. And God says, I know, but first, entrust them to me. Friends, we've got to realize, we've got to realize, we don't own any of this. None of the stuff, not the people, none of it. We're just managers of it. God has entrusted it to us. And to this woman, he entrusted her son. And yes, now this little bit of oil, this little bit of flour. And God says, first, trust me. And if you trust me, I will make it multiply. And I will make it last. Don't you want that? Don't you want that for your life? Don't you want that for your business, for your family, for your kids' futures? I think that's what's at stake here, friends. I really do. I think all the things that we dream of and hope for, that we think we have to work hard to get and scratch and claw, God says, I want those things for you also. Stay on the plan, but first, trust me first. That message is relayed throughout the Bible over and over and over. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. And then all these things will line up. But it's so difficult for us to see that. Because we're fixated on what we can see and don't trust what we say we believe. But imagine if we did. What if this week, what if this week, instead of just trying to survive, you and I decided to trust God first with it. Let's say, let's say we gave him the first rather than what's left over in terms of our time, money, energy. What if we actually believed in his promises and God says, trust me with your children and I will, I will plant them like oaks. Trust me with your relationship and I will bring you peace and joy. Trust me with your investments. Ask me first. Bring to me first. Would you do that? Would you take that risk? I know it's difficult, but, but if we are not owners of it, we got to understand that we, we just have to manage it. And the best way to manage it 
is to do as he says. So Elijah says to the woman, but first, would you trust me with that? Would you trust me with that? Would you trust God with it? Friends, family, church, we don't own this. Nobody owns it. It belongs to God. You and I are just managing it. You know that, that Sabbath school that you teach? That, you know that uh, a family group that you lead? That doesn't belong to you. You know this church that we attend? It doesn't belong to any one of us. We are not owners of it. We're just stewards. We just manage it. And the best way to manage it is to entrust it into God's care first. Now what does that mean? I don't know exactly what it means for you, but for me it means that sometimes I've got to sacrifice my own wishes, my own wants. I want it this way, but if God says that way, that way it is. I want to do this with it, but if God says do that with it, I've got to trust that. Before I get what I want, I must ensure that I do what God wants. None of us are owners. We're just managers. But the promise for us is if we trust him with the management, if we follow his principles, it will not run out. You will have more blessings, more peace, more joy. Your marriage will be stronger. Your kids will grow up in favor with God. And man, that's God's promise. Not mine, not ours, not the Adventist church. It is God's promise. But first, we've got to trust him with it. But first, we've got to seek his counsel with it. But first, we've got to take a chance on God. What if we did that this week? I challenge myself and you. I'm not saying it's easy. It doesn't make sense. But what if we did that this week? What if in your workplaces and in our homes we said, this is what I want to do, but first let me inquire of the Lord. Let's pray about it first. Let's wrestle on it. Let's read the word of God and see if he has instructions, because he does. Might God do something amazing like he did for this woman? You know, you know how the story goes, right? It never ran out. This little bit of flour and this little bit of oil, it did not run out. But sustained her and provided. And it was a daily reminder that God is who he says he is. But first, we've got to trust him. We can do it. We can do it. I believe we can.